All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to the Digital Cathedral, coming to you out of Fulcher, Texas, a little town of about 3,500 people that we recently moved to. And I have to uh, be honest with you, I'm enjoying this small town life. We're not that far from Houston that we can't drive back in, you know, and, and all that kind of thing, but I'm really enjoying being around a little bit slower pace. If you've been following along since the first of the year, you know that we've been studying uh, Paul's writings, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And we've worked our way up this morning to Philippians chapter two, and we're gonna look at verses 12 through 20. Philippians chapter two, verses 12 through 20. So if you have your Bible, <clears throat> you might wanna follow along this morning. I always encourage people. I use the New King James most of the time. Some of the time I'll uh, use a New Living Translation. Uh, and in my study, I use the Mirror Bible a lot. Francois de Toy wrote the Mirror Bible, has most of it completed. I use a lot of different versions when I, when I study, but when I uh, read on Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral, I generally use the New King James. Now, in these verses that we're going to get into, these are great verses. A lot, of, a lot of truth here, a lot of power in these verses. Some things we're going to get into, I think, are going to mess with your mind a little bit. Can I, can I just stretch the pegs of your tent out a little bit further today? Uh, if you come to the Digital Cathedral regularly, you know that we have a habit of doing that, moving things out. One of the dilemmas I have and I had it as a pastor at a building also. One of, the, one of the dilemmas I have with the digital cathedral is that I've got two basic groups of people. <laughs> I got one group of people that are saying, come on, man, we need more, give us more, we need to move faster. And then I've got another group of people that are saying, could you slow down a little bit? I'm having trouble acclimating everything you're saying, understanding, I'm having a, a problem keeping up with you, you're going too fast. So some people I'm going too slow, some people I'm going too fast. So. Uh, you know, I would just say, listen to the teaching several times, uh, follow us along, and no matter where you're at in your walk, I think that you're going to be challenged and pushed, especially as we go forward. So in these verses, Paul does some interesting things. He's really challenging in this second chapter of Philippians, verses 12 through 20, he's really challenging the Philippians to stand on their own spiritual feet. You know, stand on your own two spiritual feet. That's what Paul's getting at here especially as he starts out in his 12th verse. Now, that may sound like a, a simplistic statement, stand on your own spiritual feet, yet very few of us have done that. Most of us, most of us have relied on what we've been told for years and years. You know, we've gone to church every Sunday morning and we've heard a lot of bias confirmation uh, of, of what we've always heard. We've just gone over and over and over and over again and it's, and it's been so well ground into us that it's hard for us to accept that anything except what we've heard on Sunday morning time and time again is true. But the point is this, very few of us have actually come to a point where we have our own belief system, where we actually believe what we believe because we've carved it out, we've thought it out, we've meditated and come to some conclusions ourselves. Most of us honestly are living on the belief system and maybe not so at the digital cathedral because I know a lot of you have been out of church for a long time and you've really been forging revelation and truth out for yourself but many people are living honestly on the faith of other people they're living on the theology and the faith of the church that they were brought up in or the theology of their denomination or what the pastor has taught them for a long time and that they haven't really forged it out for themselves so Paul's encouraging these people 
uh, about who they are and what it is that they can impart to the world that they live in. In these verses, Paul's a little bit like the mother bird, you know, that has the baby birds. And there comes a time that the baby birds have got to learn to fly on their own. But the baby birds aren't sure they can fly on their own. The mama bird knows they can. The baby birds aren't sure. The baby birds like the security of the nest. They like the security of being close to mama. But mama knows there's a time that she has to put them out of the nest. And when she does... To the surprise of the baby birds, they're able to fly themselves. Their wings are strong enough. They're able to find the worms to eat for themselves and the bugs. They can take care of themselves. And Mama Bird was right the whole time. So this is kind of where, where, where Paul's going here. Paul's kind of kicking them out of the nest. Uh, one thing about Paul, Paul never tried to attach people to himself or his ministry. Paul continually attached people to Jesus. He talked all the time about the Christ that was in them, about the Christ that was in them, teaching them and guiding them and leading them. And I hope that you have caught my spirit at the Digital Cathedral in doing the same thing. I try to encourage you every week to discover the truth that you have within yourself. I love what 1 John says, that you have an anointing and that you can find out for yourself the truth. So Paul puts it in verse 12. He starts out in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, and he says this. He says, Philippians, I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. Now, what does that mean to work out your own salvation? To me, what it means is that you need to get your ears tuned to what really inspires you in life. At certain periods of time, there are things that rev your engine. You know, there are things right now that, that have lit my fire, the manifestation of the sons of God, leading others to manifest as sons of God. That's the thing that has really lit my fire for the last year or so. You know, I came through a time that just simple grace. I mean, I couldn't get off grace. I was exploring the depths of grace. And I still love grace. I'm still uncovering truths about grace. But grace was the thing that I was working out. Finished work of the cross, I was working out unconditional love of the Father. I had to work that out because I did not come from a background that had the love of the Father as being unconditional. The love that I thought the Father had was conditioned on my obedience, my sin-free life, my responding to Him. And I've come to realize that that's not the way a real Father loves. A real Father loves regardless. And so that's the way our Father is. He's not two-faced. He doesn't, he's not one way today and another way tomorrow. He doesn't work with this group that way and another group another way. Uh, so all these things you, you pass through, you come through, and it's part of working out your, your own salvation, your own wholeness. And that's, you know, you've been with me long enough to Digital Cathedral to know that salvation is not a ticket to heaven. It's, it's the completeness, it's wholeness in life, it's healing, it's soundness, preservation of mind. So Paul's trying to tell them, look, I'm kicking you out of the nest so that if I never make it back to see you again, if I never make it out of jail, and remember Paul's writing this letter out of prison. He's, his hands, his feet are in stocks. He's depending on people to deliver the letters for him. And Paul is saying, look, if, I, if, you, never, if you never see me again, if I never make another visit face to face, I want to have the assurance that you are strong enough, that your wings will fly you, that you're able to make it on yourself. If you, if you never see another apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher, 
that your faith can stand on its own. So then he says in verse 13, after he tells them, look, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he gives them some assurance in verse 13 by saying this. He says that it's God, and I've done this verse so many times because it's so revelatory. He says in verse 13, and it follows up verse 12, work out your salvation because it's God who works in you, verse 13, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Paul's giving them some assurance. He's saying, whatever God is working out in your life, Whatever you sense is going on internally, whatever is, is, is resonating, whatever is vibrating in your spirit, he's, Paul said, I want you to be assured that God has put that in you. And not only has he put it in you, he is going to endue you with the strength and the power to fully activate it, to walk it out. Then he comes down to verse 14 and he gives them an admonition. And he tells them something that will impede their growth, impede their their ability to fly on their own, their ability to work out their salvation, the ability to discern that God is working in them and what they're sensing is really the Father. He gives them a warning in verse 14. And he says, guys, let everything be done without murmuring and complaining. Let everything be done without murmuring and complaining. Let me, let me read the verse for you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. He said, do all things without complaining and disputing. Now, actually, disputing means complaining. So he's saying, don't, don't let any disruptive, negative force enter your life. This is a good word for us today. Don't let any negative, especially the world that we're living in right now, don't let any disruptive, negative influence into your life to the point that it ruins your spirit focus. And that's what happens with negative influences. When you begin to dispute and complain and gripe and murmur, those things move your focus off spirit and they put it back over here on soul. And I've taught you so many times that he's moving us out of soul and he's moving us into spirit. Now, if you, if you enter into murmuring and complaining, obviously it's going to be evidenced by the words that you speak. So this complaining and this murmuring, do you know what? It's an emotional habit that we've learned. We've picked it up. So if it's a habit that you've learned, it's certainly something that you can unlearn and stop practicing. So he tells them, verse 12, work out your salvation. Verse 13, God's working in you. He's putting a will. He's putting the ability to do but he's telling them in verse 14, don't murmur, don't complain, don't lose focus, because verse 15 says, I want you to be blameless and harmless, manifesting as sons of God in a crooked and a perverse generation. Then he goes on in verse 16 and says, if you'll do these things, even if I never show up again, you're gonna make me a proud daddy. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to be happy that you're on the right path and you're working out everything that I've taught you to work out. So I think that we should be like the Philippians that Paul is talking about in these verses, verses 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. And what I'm encouraging this morning is I'm pushing you out of the nest. When I said I'm gonna stretch the pegs of your tent a little bit, what I meant was I'm gonna, I'm gonna push you out of the nest to where you're gonna to have to begin to discern and decide some things for yourself. You know, you, you don't need any man to teach you. That's what John said. What you need is for a teacher, a pastor, apostle, prophet, whatever, to, to, to reveal or to, to present to you 
revelation as they see it, and then for you to integrate it into your life at whatever level you're able to assimilate it and, and let the spirit of truth expand on it. Have, have you ever listened to teachers? I, I, this happens all the time. I'm reading a book, I'll listen, I'll listen to a, one of my favorite teachers or a YouTube, and what the guy says or the woman says, you know, maybe I understand, I already know it, but it triggers something in me that moves me off into some places that I never thought about. That's how the spirit of truth works. He's gonna bring you into the digital cathedral and I understand I, I say some of the same things a lot because I wanna, I wanna, I'm building foundation. I'm putting it down in your life. But there are gonna be times that what I say to you, rather than say, I've heard that a hundred times from him, I want you to let the spirit of truth trigger something in you that will take you to a deeper revelation or to an entire different understanding than what you've ever had up to that point. That's what kicking you out of the nest means. Kicking you out of the nest means Look, you've got wings, now begin to fly on your own. Come into the digital cathedral and let me challenge you. Let me tip over some sacred cows. But it's time then that you begin to move out on your own. Now think about it. What is it that has separated you from the rest of the church world? Most of you that are with me this morning, you don't go to church anymore. Some of you are, some of you are kind of easing out. You're saying, well, I'm taking a, a short stint out of church or I'm taking a little bit of sabbatical. The truth is you're never going to go back. You're never going back to the way that it was. Now, as churches emerge, like Father's House in Houston, Texas, Pastor Darren Bagley, I, I, I encourage you to get over there. Go. As churches spring up around the country, you know what? That teach, our teaching truth, get in there. Get set there. Let the spirit of truth marinate some truths in your life. But what is it that has separated you from that old denomination that you were in, all of the stuff that you heard for years and years, and, and, and you've been sitting there, and you've been sitting there now, and you're looking around at people, if you're still going, and you're thinking, these people are in some kind of stupor. They're, they're like hypnotized. They're sitting there like, like zombies, just week after week, hearing the same three points in a poem and a conclusion, and come to Jesus and go home. What is it? What is going on here? What is it? What is it that has separated you from from that? What? Why? Why doesn't that satisfy you anymore? What is it that motivates you, uh, uh, like it did Paul? What? What? What was it that Paul saw in the Jews that were still hung up on religion and form and rituals? You know, simply religion. What is it that motivates you? What was it that motivated Paul? I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's this insatiable desire that you have, that he has triggered, that he has cultivated in you to know him more, to know him deeper, to come into place that you've never been before. The spirit of truth has messed with you. He's messed with you and what you have now seen, you can never unsee. Now that you see how good the Father is and the love that the Father has, you can't go back to hearing about a God that is more like Zeus than Jesus. What you have seen, you can't unsee. There's nothing that can scratch that itch that you presently feel except more of him. That's, that's what motivated Paul. Now we're gonna get to it in a couple of weeks, 
But Paul nails it down in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and 10. Listen to this, what Paul said. Here's what, here's what drove Paul. Same thing that's driving you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He said, I count all things but loss for one thing, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He said, and in comparison, I count them as rubbish to Christ. Verse 9. He says, what really revs me is to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. You can't go back to that righteousness that you tried to earn so hard by prayer, discipline, tithing, attendance, involvement, all that stuff that you use to build identity and feel good, you can't go back to because you understand it's just wood, hay, and stubble. And, and, and the consuming fire of God has burned it up and you don't want any more of it. He said that, he said, I've suffered the loss of everything. He said, I wanna be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness it's, which is from God by faith. And then he says in verse 10, that I may know him, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, listen, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, what is the fellowship of his sufferings? I like what Francois de Toy said in the Mirror Bible. He said, the fellowship of the sufferings that we have with Christ is the co-crucifixion that we went through with him. We were co-crucified with Christ. What you're thriving on today is that communion. This is good teaching, brother. This is getting deep. What you're thriving on today is that communion and relationship that you have with the Father through the Son in the Spirit, and nothing else is satisfying you. So as your, as your spirit moves in ascending over soul, as your spirit now is taking dominion over soul, mind, will, and emotions, feelings, what the five senses are feeding to you, you don't live by that anymore, and religion thrives on five senses, emotionalism and, and, and persuasion and manipulation, all that kind of thing. You moved out of that. Your understanding of spirit is increasing. And as, the, as, as, as your understanding of spirit increases, a, mar, a fantastic thing takes place. Things that were a mystery now all of a sudden become evident. They become plain. So the Father is aligning you perfectly, spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and verse 24. Paul said, I pray that you become sanctified wholly, spirit, soul, and body. That's the progression. Then he says in verse 24, faithful is he that called you who also will do it. I'm talking to some of you today that have come from holiness backgrounds and you tried to sanctify yourself. Verse 24 says, faithful is he that called you who also will do, verse 23, which is to sanctify you wholly, not H-O-L-Y, but wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, spirit, soul, and body. And I like the progression there because that's, that's the progression. That, that's the priority of life, spirit, soul, and body. That's the order through which we live. You're, you're destined, and I know you've come into this truth. You're, you're destined not to be a body, controlled by body, that happens to have a spirit and a soul. 
You're destined to be a spirit being, to realize your spirit being, and you have this body that just houses your spirit. That's all this flesh does. This flesh houses this man inside that is peering out through these eyes at you this morning at the Digital Cathedral. And you're peering back at me. The real you is peering back at me. The real you is not that flesh sitting there drinking coffee, still in your pajamas, enjoying church for a change, enjoying a message and teaching for a change, laid back, relaxed, resting in him for a change. That's not the real you. The real you is that spirit inside that's creating the life and the rest and the change. You're destined to understand that you're a spirit. You're a spirit. And there just happens to be this body that encases you. See, your, bo your, 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 your body no longer is reflected in your soul. Your body now is energized and driven by your spirit. In fact, in, in uh, Romans chapter 8, this is, a, this is a really good verse. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. Let me, let me read that for you. Romans chapter 8 verse 11, Paul says this. But if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and it does, he who raised Christ from the dead, watch, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Life to your mortal body comes through, this is revelation for you, what gives your body life is the spirit that dwells in you. What, what, what brings you physical life is the spirit that dwells in you. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead came and raised that dead body. And Paul says that same spirit that dwells in you will also quicken or give life to your mortal body. Your body you're to be a, a spirit being that has a body that reflects the life of the spirit within. That's called eternal life. Eternal life resides within you. you you're never going to die. This, this physical man may wear out. Organs may wear out. I, I don't think you necessarily have to. I don't think that's necessarily the design. But that, that could happen. And when it does, you live on. Your spirit lives on. The the spirit that is within you now will be the spirit that lives on forever. Whatever, whatever level of consciousness you're functioning on, you're going to continue to function and continue to grow, right? I mean, that's what he promised us, that in the ages to come, he would continue to show us the level of the goodness and the grace and the love that the Father has for us. We're, 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 we're in this process, and I'd like to say a whole lot more about this spirit that gives life to our mortal body. You have eternal life. You've moved out of dust, man. You've, you've moved into spirit, man. First man, Adam, was made of dust. Last man, last Adam, Jesus, was a quickening spirit. You, are, you have been infused with quickening spirit. You've left dust, man. You never, you never had to be dust, man. You were told you were dust man. You bought the story, and so you lived like dust man. You don't have to live like dust man. You can live like life-giving spirit man, right? We're in this process of stepping outside of ourselves. The eyes that we're looking at, we're seeing totally different. Perceptions, understanding, consciousness, 
It's all being elevated. You know you're on the right track. Here's how you know you're on the right track. Are you ready for this? When your church friends come to you and say, what in the world has come over you? When your church friends come to you and say, you've changed, what's happened to you? And you explain to them what's happened and they look at you and say, man, you better get back on track. You need to come back to the fold. You're, you have gone too far. You have gone, you, ha you have taken this grace thing to extremes. Like you cannot take grace to extremes. You cannot overdo love. Those things, you cannot, you cannot go too far. There, there is no limit to them. If it's going to take him the ages to come to show us the goodness and the grace of God, what makes you think we can even scratch the surface of it in three score and 10 years or 80 years or 100 years? You can't do it. You're stepping outside of yourself. It's, it's all spirit work. So when your friends come to you and say, man, what's going on with you? Something's happening, you're different. You have a different demeanor, different, uh, you're posturing yourself, different, just the way you handle yourself. And when you tell them, some of them are ready to hear it. And they're gonna say, tell me more. Let's meet at your house and let's do a Bible study. Let's, let's delve into some of this. See, it's not you convincing them. It's not you arguing them. It's the work of the Spirit also going on in their life. You're gonna find one and you're gonna find two, pretty soon five, pretty soon eight, nine. Pretty soon you're gonna have more people than you can deal with in your house or at the coffee shop or somewhere talking about what you all are discovering because your life's taking on a different perspective. So when I say you're stepping outside of yourself, what am I talking about? You're stepping outside of yourself. What I mean is you're, you're changing what has defined you. Certain things have defined us. We're shedding those. For some of us, uh, the experiences of life have defined us. For some of us, our physical appearance has defined us. We have identified with what we look like or our education, how much money we make, the house we live in, the car we drive, the friends we keep, the activities we're involved in. All those things have defined us and that's all changing. We're stepping now into a new creation and the realities of that new creation. And those are now defining us and all those old things that used to define us, that used to, used to be part of us, they're passing away. Now you still have memory of them. You still have memory of the failures and the successes the good times, the bad times, the tough times, the easy times, the defeats, the victories, right? The good, the bad, the beautiful, the ugly, you still remember all of that. But when you're, when you're stepping outside of yourself, you're starting to abandon those things in terms of identity, in terms of, of influence in your life. And to the extent that you're willing to release their embrace of you, to that extent, you're going to continue to grow quickly. And to the extent you refuse to release the embrace of those things, that you hang on, you cling to those things, to that degree, you limit the growth of that new creation that now indwells you. So it's your call how fast you want to ditch the old stuff. And when I talk about ditching, I'm not talking about, you're never probably going to forget. It's always going to be wedged in your memory. What I'm, what I'm talking about, and as we're stepping out of our old self into new creation realities, I'm talking about abandoning the influences of the past, whether they were good or bad, successful or failures, beautiful or ugly. They don't influence you anymore. 
That's not where your identity is created. I mean, Jesus, Jesus detached from it all. In, uh, in what is it, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, Philippians 2, 7, uh, um, it says that he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a man, made himself of no reputation. If there's anybody that could have walked the earth holding on to the old, it would have been Jesus. All the recollections that he had of the eons he spent with the Father as the Christ before he manifested in flesh as Jesus. I mean, you, you talk about having to let go of a lot, detach from a lot. Paul had to detach from it. In, in Philippians, we read a little bit out of chapter 3, but let me, let me read for you what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. He said, brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. He said, but one thing I do, one thing I do. He said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. So Paul, Jesus made himself of no reputation. He detached from all of the past. Paul made himself of no reputation. He said, I, I, I release, I forget, I don't embrace the things that are old because I'm stretching, I'm reaching for the things that are in front of me. And the, and the truth is, you can't hang on to the old and reach for the new at the same time. The only way you can grab onto the new is to let go of the old. It happened to Peter in Acts chapter 10, and I won't take time to read the whole scripture, but Peter's on a rooftop praying and he gets hungry. And so this sheet comes down and it's got all these animals that are unclean and the spirit of truth says, Peter, take and eat. Peter says, no way, I'm a good Jewish boy. I'm not taking that stuff and eating. And no, that stuff doesn't pass through my lips. So the word came to him and it was this, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. And the sheet comes down again. And the bottom line of the story was, Peter had to let go of his religious tradition of what he called clean and unclean. And it ended up going to Cornelius' house that he never would have entered into the house of a Gentile. Peter was a good Jewish boy. We're talking after the resurrection. And he should have known better, but he was still clinging to some of the old. So even though you come into depths of revelation and depths of understanding, sometimes we still have a tendency to hold on to the old and it influences us. You have to let go of it. So if you're trying with one hand to grab the new and with the other hand hold on to the old, it's gonna create conflict. I'll tell you right now, it's gonna create conflict in your life. You're gonna be, be frustrated. You're gonna shift back and forth between, oh, I, I, I kind of gravitate to the old, I like, but I see what's going on. I don't know what to do. I'm not sure this is right. I know I felt very secure over there. You can't, you can't reach, you can't do both. There comes a day in your life when you cross over the line. I remember well when it happened in my life, because I'll be honest, I was vacillating some. When I first began to teach this message and people resisted, I used to sit in my office thinking, man, if I lost my friggin' mind, are they right and I'm, I'm in deception? And so I, I, would, I would kind of take steps back. But there came a day that I, I knew that I knew that I knew and I was convinced and I said, if everybody leaves, if I don't have another friend left in the world, I know this is right. I know this is truth and I've got to cling to it. And at that point, it became so embedded in me that I could articulate it, I could explain it, I could teach it effectively. See, but it wasn't until I let go of the old. 
Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19 talks about a new way in the wilderness, putting a road in the wilderness and a stream in the desert. See, you can't put a, you can't put a road in the wilderness until you're willing to knock down some trees. You can't put a stream in the desert until you're willing to build the irrigation canal. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that's exactly what Isaiah meant there, but you understand where I'm coming from. If you're going to put a road in the wilderness, and some of you are the tree clearers. You're the ones that are clearing the tree so that others can follow the road that you're building. He said, I'm doing a new thing. Behold, he said, I'm doing a new thing. When he does a new thing, he knocks down the trees and he builds the road through the forest. When he does a new thing, he goes out in the, in the desert where, where it's the most unlikely place and he puts a river. He's picked you and he's picked me, the most unlikely of all people. He certainly could have picked people better educated, more uh, can articulate much more fluently and, and beautifully than I can. But he put a hand on me, put a hand on you and said, I picked you. I want you to go into that, I want you to go into that forest now and start clearing trees, buddy. And I'll tell you when you've knocked down enough and we're going to put a road that other people can walk on. It's going to be easier for them than it was for you. The new thing that we're stepping into, the river in the desert, the road in the wilderness is this. <clears throat> it's the emergence, it's the unveiling of the sons as kings and priests. You have a twofold ministry. And I don't care whether you teach school, flip hamburgers at McDonald's, you're an insurance salesman. I don't care what's financing your ministry. I don't care. That's, what you, that's the way you have to look at it. What you're doing, if you're getting a check from being a greeter at Walmart, Walmart is funding your ministry. It's funding the kingdom. The emergence, the unveiling, the road in the wilderness, the stream in the desert, moving you out of, out of soul into spirit, teaching you to stand on your own two feet, to fly, to, to build your own uh, uh, salvation with, with fear and trembling. It means you do it carefully. It means you do it exactly. You do it with some art, articulate. You do it, you know, precisely. He's giving you the king and priest ministry. And that means dominion in two dimensions. And I want to talk to you about dominion and power the rest of the time that I have this morning because that's where, that's, that's where kings and priests function. They function in two different dimensions with dominion. A king functions with dominion in the natural, and a priest functions with dominion in the spiritual. The only prophet, priests, and kings that ever existed in the scripture was David and Jesus. They were both prophets, priests, and kings. Now, you're coming along in the image and the, of, of, in the likeness of Jesus. He's the firstborn among many brothers. You and I have the ministry of the prophet, the priest, and the king, right? That means we, need, we, we will begin to walk in dominion. Now, I'm going to say some things that are really strong, and some of you are going to choke on this, but just stay with me. Let it settle in. Dominion in the natural, dominion in the spiritual. Dominion always trumps power. Now, we've thought a lot about power in the kingdom, about the power of the kingdom. Let me tell you something, dominion trumps power. Pharaoh had power. When Moses went to Pharaoh, he went in dominion. He went under the guise of I am. I am sent him. I am sent him to take 
dominion. Herod had power. Jesus had dominion. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. Nobody has the power to take my life. He said, I lay it down and I pick it back up again. That's dominion. Could, could, could Herod kill Jesus' physical body? Yes. But if he killed it, Jesus could put life back into it and pick it up again, which he did, by the way. That's dominion. Now, you and I are coming into a place where we're going to have to start walking in dominion. So everything I've said today, walk out your salvation, work it out, knowing that God's working in you, powerful things in the will that he's putting in you is his will, and he's going to endue you with the ability to do it. Do it without murmuring and complaining that you'll be harmless and blameless as sons of God in the middle of a, of a jacked up generation. And when you do that, you're going to bring great joy to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. See, dominion is a force of spirit that will, that will enforce the bowing of the knee of power. When dominion confronts power, dominion always comes out on top. Now, this is going to be hard for some of you. Listen to me. Dominion does not exercise faith. Dominion declares that it's so. Do you notice when Jesus walked on the water, he never said, I'm doing this by faith? When Jesus walked out to the end of the boat and he said, peace be still, he didn't say, peace be still by faith. I'm speaking the word of faith. No, he took dominion. When Jesus sent the, the men down, when the taxers were due, and he said, go down the first fish that comes up, was Jesus saying, I want you to go down there by faith. I want you to go down there and make a good confession. Now, faith is, I'm not downplaying faith and I'm not downplaying confession. I don't want you to get that out of what I'm teaching right now. What I'm teaching you is there is a level you're coming into and you're starting to exercise it. And it's dominion. When Jesus put the man in the garden, he gave him dominion, right? Dominion. So we should be exercising dominion. Dominion takes control. Dominion is the exercising of a sovereign power. When dominion speaks, there's no room for debate. When dominion speaks, there's no variables. When dominion speaks, what it speaks, it's exercised. Dominion is not a hoping and a praying. Did you ever go through the hoping? I'm just a hoping and a praying. No, dominion, dominion isn't believing for something. Dominion is not receiving by faith. Dominion is a word when released it accomplishes and fulfills the thing that it is sent to fulfill and to accomplish. Right? Priests and kings walk in dominion. Listen to me closely. Listen. Dominion is a sonship right. Now, we were, we were trained to pray about what we should have been taking dominion for. But because there's been no history of, of the people of God taking dominion, the best that we can do is hope and pray. The best that we can do is ball and squall. The best that we can do is call the prayer chain. The best that we can do is get a group of people standing in a circle, holding hands, begging and pleading with God. 
That's not, that's not how kings and priests walk. That's not how David and Jesus walked. Priests and kings walk in dominion. There's power in the word that a king and a priest declares. There's power to change what appears to what should be, right? Now, what's plagued us has sons and daughters manifesting at this point, and I've taught you what that manifesting looks like. What's plagued us up to this point is a lack of awareness. We haven't been able to grasp what the Father is doing within us, the depth of the work. And I'm still scaling down into it. I'll be honest with you, I spend time just quiet, going deep into what he's doing because my call is to manifest and to lead you and multitudes of others to manifest. I'm the one knocking down the first tree. You're following me knocking down trees three, four, and five, and there's going to be others that knock down the smaller trees. Finally, there are going to be people that just walk on a smooth road. That's our calling. That's the dimension we're in. What's plagued us is we haven't known how to do this. Nobody's ever told us that we have dominion. Well, we, we've heard it, but we didn't know what it was. So we thought power or authority. See, he's perfecting his strength in our weakness. His strength is dominion. He's replaced, listen to me, catch this. Back to me, come back. He's replacing our natural power and authority with his dominion. We're going to begin to speak the word of dominion. We're going to begin to walk in dominion. The soul does not have dominion. The, the soul has influence. The five physical senses have influence. They try to influence you. Spirit man, nematikos man, has dominion over sukikos, soul man. Right? If in that process that you're in now, You've seen enough of it to begin to put it into action. In, the, in that process, you're now at the stage of seeing enough that you're sensing his desire to move past the good. Right? Just going to church on Sunday. That's good. Nothing wrong going to church on Sunday. You're, you're, you're moving past the better, which is living for Jesus. Nothing wrong living for Jesus. I lived for Jesus for 35 years, 40 years, 50 years, whatever it was. He's moving you past the good and the better. He's moving you into the best, which is, which is Jesus living as you, fulfilling the final plans of the Father as you. So here's my message this morning. Here's my message this morning. Just as Paul was encouraging the Philippians to work out their own salvation, to push them out of the nest to where they could stand on their own two spiritual feet. The spirit of truth today is moving us into places we've never been. He's moving us into dimensions and heights we've, we've never thought possible. He's moving us into better places than we've ever experienced. So let me remind you of our, of our key scripture this morning. All right. But really, there's two key scriptures. I have to put verses 12 and 13 together because they hook together. Work out your own salvation. Whatever is lighting your fire right now, pursue it. Whatever is speaking to you, whatever is energizing you, and there's part of the kingdom right now that you're in because it's at your phase of development. 
that is really interesting to you. It's, it's fascinating. You can't hear enough of it. All right. If you're getting it from me, that's great. There's, there's other teachers that are out there. I'm not going to name names because I, I don't want you to go and say, well, I don't agree with that and I don't like this. You ask the spirit of truth. When you're ready, the teacher will appear. I think that's an old Chinese proverb. And when a student is ready, the teacher appears. The, the spirit of truth has led me through uh, probably 10 teachers. He's got me on one now that I'm not even going to mention your name because you'd say, I don't want to hear about that. That's too far out there. No, sometimes people have truth, but don't know it's the spirit of truth that's unveiling it to them. And so we have to bring it into the dimension and realm where we can break it down and, and get it ourselves. Have to, let, have to let the spirit infuse it with life. It's already got some life to it, but you've got to bring it into a place where others can digest it without choking. All right. So whatever's, whatever's cranking you right now, whatever's, whatever, whatever is motivating you, follow it. And God will give you the ability and the power to accomplish it, to assimilate it into your life so that you can verbalize it, articulate it, manifest it, walk it out. Now, if you're getting it from me, that's fine. I, I think I cover a lot of stuff in the Digital Cathedral. Digital Cathedral is kind of like, you know, your church was on Sunday morning. I nurture you. I, I, I push you. I, I try to move you on. But, you know, I, I'm kind of a general practitioner in some regards. But if you've got something that you need a specialist for, I, there are probably some specialists I can send you to. If you want to learn about quantum physics, I would send you to Steve McVeigh. All right? It, it, there are things that if you want to learn about, there are people I would send you to because they're specialists. That's, that's where they're honed in right now. I can, I can name other people, but I, I, I'm not going to do it. Right? Because the spirit of truth will lead you to who you need to go to. So work out your salvation, your perfection, your maturity, your wholeness. And know this, that the one that has called you is doing it. He's put the desire in you. He's put the will in you. And he's also put the power. He's putting you in a place to come to the next level, to come to the next place of consciousness. So when you can stand back and you can just say, Father, like Mary, be it unto me according to your word. And you've let go of all the past, past conceptions, past ideas, past theologies, past belief systems. You've set that all on the table. And you just said, Father, be it unto me according to your word. When you say that, boom, conception takes place. And you're pregnant with that thing. And it's only time, if you're pregnant, it's only time until you go into birth pangs and you deliver that baby. And when you deliver that baby, then you got to raise it. When you deliver that baby, you have to mature it. You have to nurture it, which means you're going to have to take it out and teach it to other people, explain it, put it out there. But during that gestation period, that nine-month period or whatever period of time it is that you're pregnant with what it is that he has lit your fire with, He's going to bring you through enough. And some of the circumstances are not going to be pleasant because he's seeding that word. He's rooting it deep. And so when the, when the word, when you're doing the sayings that Jesus has given to you at a particular time and the winds blow and the storms come and the floods rise, you won't fall. You won't fall. So he's, he may send some storms, right? You got it? He may send some wind, he may send some adversity in the forms of people or 
uh, bringing up past thoughts, because you've got to kill those, those thoughts. Those have got to be done away with. It's a great day. It's a wonderful time in history to be alive. There is so much churning on the inside of us. You know, I, I try to hold my teaching 45, 50 minutes. I could go two hours on, on these things because there's so much. There's so much in those, in those verses we went through today. We just take the tops of the trees out. But I know this, I'm confident that he that began a good work in you is going to accomplish it. And that what I've said today has led you into some other, other streams of thought, has led some spirit-inspired thinking to emerge within you. And that's good. That's, I've accomplished my purpose. Some of you have may, may have made angry today. I hope so, because when you're angry, when you're upset, you're going you're gonna to research. If you'll do it without confirmational bias, if you'll do it in neutral gear, be open to what the Spirit of Truth say. You're going to learn some new things. Hey, it's been good to be with you today. I love the Digital Cathedral. I love what I'm doing, man. I, I, I wouldn't pastor the biggest mega church in America right now. If Joe Osteen called me and said, I'm, I'm stepping down and I want you to take my place, I'd pass. I really would. I'm saying that sincerely. I love what I'm doing today. I have such freedom. I'm able to teach it. I'm able to put it out there. And I, I love the hungry. You're like little birds. Many of you are little birds just waiting for the, for the food to come. Right? And many of you now have grown. I'm kicking you out of the nest. There'll be another wave that comes in, little birds wanting food. That's my job. That's my calling. And now I'm training you little birds to fly and to start to feed other little birds as you, as you develop your own wings. Been good to be with you today. We've always studied some good things. We'll pick it up next Sunday morning. Uh, next Sunday morning, I'm gonna talk about ascending suns, ascending sonship. So I think you wanna be here for that one. Uh, hope you got something out of this dominion and power. Think about that, meditate on that for a while. And I think that you'll see that dominion always trumps power. God has called you to walk in dominion as a priest and a king. Let's exercise it this week in Jesus' name. See you Wednesday night at Wednesday Night Life and back next Sunday morning, same time, same place, for Digital Cathedral. God bless.